The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. So hey there guys, I've got Forrest with me today, who's also known as Hoshoshi within the crypto community. And we've got plenty to talk about today. So before we get started, Forrest, why don't you give us a quick background of who you are, what you do, and where you're calling from? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm calling in from the Washington, D.C. area. My name is Forrest. I run the YouTube channel Hashoshi. And as some of you may know, I am a blockchain developer in the space. I do a lot of Ethereum development, um, but a bunch of other platforms as well. And my main goal on my channel is to just educate as many people as I can, share the, you know, non-biased or unhyped variety of news and uh, just give you guys my take on what's going on in the market. And that's exactly why I got you on the show, man. We share a mutual vision. In our um, in our Twitter bio, it says, we hope to share non-partisan and non-biased news. So I'm glad you just mentioned that. Fantastic. And also, you've, just per- you've created a perfect segue into our next conversation. So I was going to say, you're an Ethereum developer. And I was going to ask you if you've built anything on top of Ethereum, but you've just admitted that you have. So why don't you tell us about a few projects that you've built on the Ethereum blockchain? Sure, absolutely. So there are a handful of things that I've built for clients that I can't discuss, unfortunately, but I can talk about all of some of the projects that I've built on my own. I was actually on my like trying to get my Ethereum certification, which I did, which I'm super excited about. But I built an ERC721 application, so a non-fungible token. And just to see how the standard worked and to get a feel for the process. So I built just a small token foundry for non-fungible crypto collectible tokens. And so it was a very interesting test of that ecosystem. Uh, I will say that I think that's one instance where you run into issues with gas. Those are very, very heavy, pricey applications to run. So, I mean, I was running on a test net, but... If I tried to deploy that on the mainnet, it would have cost me a significant amount just to deploy the contract to create the base number of tokens, etc. So it was a very interesting experiment to do. Okay, so as a developer, how exciting and how inviting is it to build on top of Ethereum? Was it was it easy to learn to code in Solidity? Yeah, so look, there are <laughs> there are things about Solidity that drive me crazy, and I think that a lot of developers feel the same way. Solidity is a very beginner-friendly language in its syntax, so the way that it, it works, you can build applications, even if you don't have development experience, you can use the plethora of guides and things online. The only thing is, is that it's, in practice, very difficult to use because there are so many pitfalls when you're using Solidity and just when building blockchain applications in general. You know, all these hacks that you, that you see, like quote-unquote hacks, haven't really been the blockchain's fault. It's been people's fault building smart contracts with holes in them. And that's the reason why I think Solidity is kind of a a two-sided coin. It's very easy to get started with, but it's very difficult to master. So, I mean, there are so many different trap doors that you can get stuck in if you build an application that just works. You need to be able to security audit it as well. Yep, I got you. So despite all these limitations, why Ethereum and not any other blockchain? Yeah, so I think Ethereum has been one that I think has generated a lot of undue criticism. There are definitely critiques that are valid for Ethereum, for sure. Their roadmap has been too long. I I think we've 
been needing something significantly new to really improve performance over the last year, and it's been taking too long. So I get that. But I think if you look at how many amazing projects there are that have stemmed from Ethereum and created something special on top of Ethereum, I think that's one huge benefit. So the ecosystem is the biggest thing for me. There's so many developers, there's so many tools, there are so many really bright people working on Ethereum that that's one thing that attracted me to it. And then I also think that the the fact of the matter is a lot of people talk about Ethereum, you know, not being fast enough and maybe, you know, that it's inefficient, etc. It doesn't scale. The reality is there are so many projects out there that are highly touted that don't even have an MVP yet. So I think we have to be more direct in our comparisons when we're talking about scalability and performance and look at what Ethereum has done and hopefully what it can accomplish if these updates that are coming really pan out. So they've been discussed at DevCon, which is very interesting. Okay, so DevCon was just a few days ago. Why don't we speak about some of these updates that Ethereum is going to roll out in um, hopefully within the next year? Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things that's come is Vitalik did say, I'm, I'm here to stay. Uh, you know, I'm going to be working on Ethereum for the foreseeable future. You know, there were some rumors about him stepping away because of the frustrations with all the stuff that's been going on in Ethereum. So that's one positive sign. Vlad Zamfer did talk about his uh, strategy with proof of stake and Casper, et cetera, which was very interesting to see. So I think we're going to see a much different implementation of proof of stake than we've we were originally told about. And I've talked about it in some of my videos, but I think the original idea of using proof of stake, you know, and, and the minimum stake being, I think it was a thousand ether. I think that prices out a, a large majority of the network's participants. And it also makes it for me as a developer, if I wanted to test an app on proof of stake on the mainnet, I need to have a thousand ether to test it really and get control over my test cases. So that was one concern. And so I think they're re, you know, kind of retooling that idea. They stepped back from this crazy dynamic sharding that they were trying to do because I think that the pairing of sharding and proof of stake proved very difficult. So we may see that we may see sharding technology involved in the update, but it also may be a little different than it was originally planned for. And okay, then, perfect. yeah, and then Sorry, finally, carry on no worries, man. I can talk about this stuff all day, every day. So you can cut me off if you want to. No worries. <laughs> okay. So as a developer, are you, are you excited for Casper? As a developer, I am because it's a new challenge. It's a new, yeah. a new way to, to use Ethereum. Okay, cool. And then do, I guess the question that I'm trying to ask here is, do you think that the Ethereum network will be made more valuable once we transfer over to Casper? Do you think that it will increase in value and utility. That's a tough one. I mean, I think I want to say yes, because that's what I believe. But I also do understand that anytime that you make a significant update to the protocol, you know, especially something that large, it, it can always present problems that you don't foresee. But I think that I would rather them take until end of 2019 to put out an update with Casper, some, some sharding capability, the new Ethereum WebAssembly, and just give us everything that we were looking for battle-tested than to push an update that could break everything in February. Yeah, I got you, man, definitely. So going on to another topic of conversation now, 
USD Tether seems to be losing value every day. Their banking partnerships are looking incredibly shady and sketchy. And a few weeks ago, the price deviated from its $1 mark. And I think it went down to as low as 87 cents. Yep. So what are your thoughts on the new emerging stable coins? Yeah, so I've, I've been a vocal critic of Tether because I have a feeling that there's not a lot behind it. You know, not, not what they say there is, for, for example, but I'm, I'm torn on stable coins. I think stable coins are a very necessary thing right now because we need to have some sort of hedge, some liquidity when it comes to crypto trading. It isn't a viable trading option for us to go and pull crypto to fiat currency to hold it. We need to have some way to, to make it more intermediary. I think stable coins though are temporary. And my issue is, is that when you're the concept of a stable coin is flawed because it's a volatile asset that's really red, like pegged to supply and demand more than it is um, the actual US dollar, British pound, etc. But beyond that, you look at the US dollar, the British pound, the euro, all of those things are a, a really big moving target. So it's really difficult algorithmically to balance a token itself, a virtual currency to a non-virtual currency because you're almost defeating the purpose of crypto in that sense because you're creating a token that relies on the same financial structures and instruments that are being used that no one has control over, right? So I think they're necessary now, but in the future, I hope that there'll be something better than that as a method of liquidity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. In the, in the last few weeks, I've... I've started to use the phrase USD-backed coins or fiat-backed coins rather than stable coins for exactly the reason that you said, because yeah. the underlying asset is not stable. And obviously, there's a huge divide within the community whether we should be completely anti-fiat and not interact with stable coins or USD-backed coins. And those like myself and how you've just argued, it seems like you too, that we see USD coins as a transitional tool whilst we become more independent from fiat with the expectation that in the future hopefully we can build infrastructure that will be better. Right. And and that's the thing. Like I try and draw the line between the two types of folks that there are. I think it's just a human nature thing where you can either only you can only be one or the other. Like you can only be a crypto anarchist or a, an industry like an industry focused person who is anti crypto. Like I don't and I don't see that as the correct way of looking at it. I think there's going to be a lot of things that kind of move halfway like for example during the times where the internet was just beginning AOL made a huge splash and millions and millions and millions of people used AOL which was getting adoption for the internet but AOL had to send you a disk with new applications that you could use so it was very closed like very you were within the walls of AOL there was no freedom for you which is counter to everything the internet was preaching right yeah but as time went on you know, Netscape, Internet Explorer, Windows, all that stuff happened and came to the forefront and people forgot about AOL and moved over to that. So we're looking at the same thing with crypto. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt these kind of halfway solutions because that's just, that may be what drives adoption. I like that analogy, man. I'm going to keep that. You should, so, man. No worries. <laughs> so whilst we're on the topic of fiat coins, Circle launched their own one too. That's Circle Research. It's called USDC. You've made a video on Circle in the past. So Circle, in case anyone doesn't know, is a P2P technology company, and it's heavily backed by Goldman Sachs. 
So Forrest, why don't you tell us a bit about them, seeing as you made a video about them, what they're trying to do, as their name seems to be popping up everywhere at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a video back like early on when they were releasing their beta version of the um, their exchange. So I think they acquired, in a way, like technology license to Poloniex. So it gave them the ability to create a cryptocurrency exchange without having to do it all from scratch. And I thought, for me, one of the most special things about Circle bringing all this technology to the consumers in a mobile application again was they're kind of a, a competitor for Coinbase in a way because even though you can't bring your coins off of Circle to another wallet, there are millions of users in the US especially that don't care about that capability whatsoever. They just want to be able to invest in crypto without having to know anything. And so for, for those of us who are very active in the community and there, we're big traders, you know, we want to be able to use our hardware wallets. We want to be able to use multiple exchanges. But I'm happy for millions of other people to use crypto and to buy crypto without having to care about anything. So Circle, that's one of the, been their main, one of, one of their main projects is bringing that super easy mobile app exchange called Circle Invest to the masses. I'm not sure if you've picked up on this or seen this online, but USDC, the fiat currency that Circle made, actually have the power to freeze any USDC wallet. Had you picked up on that? Interesting. No, I did not know that. Okay, well, I was just going to ask why why you think that is as a developer, as someone who engages with wallets and that, why do you think they opted to do that in such a decentralized environment? I personally don't have any answers to it, but yeah, if you haven't heard about it, don't worry then. Yeah, I honestly think though that just based on that, <clears throat> without having done any research on it, obviously, it says to me, honestly, because they have or they're at least in the process of getting a lot of these money market certifications from the government, I have a feeling that that's a requirement for them. Because I know that in banking, to run a US dollar bank, you have to have the capability to freeze accounts. So I have a feeling that it's to help prevent the movement of terrorist funds and other things. And that's probably why. Okay, brilliant, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for shedding light to that because I had no idea. No so worries. Brilliant. That's just my best guess. No, it's, it's a good guess, man. So I was flicking through your video archive on YouTube the other day, and I saw that you did a video on Brave, the Brave browser, a yep. consumer and privacy-focused browser. So do you use it? What do you think of it overall, and how does it compare to other browsers? Yep, I use it every day. I've, mo I've moved over most of the things that I do from Chrome over to Brave. You know, obviously, like, today, certain applications don't work super well on, on Brave yet, but slowly but surely those things are coming to coming to fruition so i really like it i think it's now built on the chrome base so the you know that the base code is is chrome now which i think some people don't like but i don't really care because what the, does that mean though that it's built on chrome's code so basically it's just using that this the base architecture so the you know the really low level code that chrome uses to browse the web and to to display elements and that sort of thing that's what it uses. And it also gives it the ability to run Chrome-based plugins. So, you know, like the Ledger Nano S stuff from of old and all that stuff that you needed Chrome to do, Brave kind of migrated over to that because it makes it easier for people that already use Chrome to move over to Brave because they can kind of bring their plugins with them. So for me, I use MetaMask all the time for code. So I needed that. And it's great now that I can use it over there. What are your favorite features of Brave? I love Brave because, not because it's 
a privacy first browser and all this other stuff because it's focused on the user. It's a browser that gives you full control over everything. And I love that because I think when people look at Brave, they look at it through that lens of like, oh, well, that's a Tor browser. It's for privacy, you know, whatever. Like, why would I need to use that? But at the end of the day, you can go in and you can customize everything about it. Like, if you want to see ads and you don't care, you can turn the ad shield off and not worry about it at all. You know, if you want to allow websites to track you, you can do that. Like, you can put in whatever websites you want to allow tracking and cookies and that sort of thing. So I just love the freedom from a browsing perspective. Gotcha. I, uh, when I actually, I had um, a little period where I experimented with Brave, and unfortunately, I wasn't convinced enough to start using it. But definitely, those were the, I guess, the features that appealed to me most. That it was so consumer based. The main disadvantage that I found with Brave, and I think it's the only disadvantage. It's just unfortunate that it's such a big one. Is that the design of it? It just Safari and Chrome trumpet. What do you think are the main disadvantages? Do you think the design is there or do you think it's lacking? Yeah, I mean, I think the design needs some work. There are some features that it has that Chrome doesn't have. Like I love the hover, hover to see what's on the page. Like that's just a no brainer. And I think that's something that Firefox does. But especially for me, I always have like a million tabs open. And I love to be able to just scroll through and see what it is that's underneath the logo. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just a little thing. But I think the two disadvantages are, I agree, the design needs work. But the biggest one for me is the developer tools. Chrome blows every browser away in developer tools. Just, it's not even close. And so whenever I'm doing code, still, I have my Chrome installed so that I can go and I can run my user interface and other things in Chrome so that I can get the terminal and all that stuff up. So that uh, that's one thing that Brave's going to have to work on. And I know that's low on their priority list. It's just to get users on there in general, not developers. Okay, so alongside the Brave browser, they introduced the BAT token, the basic attention token. Yep. What are your thoughts on it? I'm a big proponent of basic attention token. Our our ad revenue system, you know, especially I'm on YouTube. I love the content creation process, but it's so impossible to make money with YouTube now because advertisers realize that users don't want to watch ads. Like they, you know, they're very particular about the things that they view. And, you know, you might be able to get five seconds of attention on something if you're lucky. And the process of getting paid is just garbage for everyone. You know, like, you know, YouTube, I think it's something crazy, like 10 cents per 2000 views or something nuts like that. I don't even know what the the price is now. But the fact of the matter is advertisers are not getting really good value for their money and content creators aren't getting paid. How does the bat token solve that? Yeah, so I think creating an ecosystem where you're directly equating a user's attention to a monetary value. So basic attention token is basically a a utility token that measures the time and attention someone, a user pays to an advertisement or to content. So an advertiser, for example, can post ads to the Brave platform and users can kind of choose what types of ads they would like to view. And when they view those ads, they get paid in basic attention tokens for their attention. And then once those users want to view paywalled content, say they want to go watch one of my videos and they watch my video for eight minutes, they can set on their Brave browser that they want to pay me two basic attention tokens per minute for every minute they spend on my content. It creates this little like triangular exchange of value around users, advertisers, and content creators. 
Yeah, the idea and the vision behind it is so spectacular and revolutionary. It's just, will it be feasible to break into the advertisement industry? I think, yeah, I, I'm I'm big fan of Brave. Unfortunately, I'm not ready to use it full time just yet. But in the future, it's definitely something I'd like to um, to move over to full time. So that's a project that I'm quite interested in. What projects are you most optimistic about? Yeah, so it's been tough to keep up with everything lately, but I will say there are a handful of projects that I really like. You know, I'm definitely, definitely bullish on uh, on Elastos. I think some, you know, obviously with every crypto project, there's a wide variety of opinions, but I love Elastos because it's been in progress and in development for like uh, over a decade, like 16 years, something crazy like that, long before blockchain was even a conversation. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's so special because you're seeing projects now that are, you know, having huge, huge ICOs that have been around for two months. They deserved the money that they raised because they've been working on this for 16 years. And blockchain was not the fourth, like the the pinnacle technology for this. It was like the missing piece. So I, I just like that. It's unique. And I also love the idea, the concept of a smart web. Uh, the concept of taking the infrastructure that we all use and take for granted and improving it for real this time, I think that's a huge, huge benefit. And if something like Elastos gets adopted, it makes the world an easier place to implement more decentralized applications and blockchain infrastructure than we have now. Yeah, I too am very interested in Elastos. I think it's a great idea. And one of the things that most appeals to me is the control of digital assets. So I was listening to a podcast by Rong Chen and he put out a great example and I think this stuck with me ever since that when you go onto the internet now and you buy an ebook or you buy a digital piece of content, whether that be an ebook or, an, or a movie or something like that, you don't actually own it. You're not able to sell it or rent it out. You just have it on your device. And it's more like a lease because you use it, but you're not able to trade it and you're not able to gain value from it. Whereas with yeah. Elastos, when you buy something, you're able to either sell it, auction it, or keep it for yourself. I think that it just gives the consumer a lot more power over what they're able to interact with online. I agree with you, totally. Digital assets now are very uh, very closed. It's a one-channel thing. You buy it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, Forrest, are you happy to finish with a quickfire Q&A? Sure, mate. Let's do it. Brilliant. So, as a developer, can you give us both a developer's definition of what a blockchain is and then a more simplistic one for newcomers? Yeah, absolutely. So the developer version, a blockchain is an interconnected series of transactions maintained by a consensus mechanism that is distributed across nodes that all share the same software. And those nodes basically share state, an idea of what the network status is at any given time throughout history in an immutable ledger. And then the less technical version of that would be a blockchain is a digital ledger of transactions where everyone shares a copy and has transparency into what's going on on the network. And at any given time, they can see all the transactions that they or others have created on the network throughout history. I love that, man. So the next one, are you a fan of Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, or both, or even neither? I am a fan of Bitcoin. Not necessarily Bitcoin Cash. I think the controversy rides on forever, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so another definition. Sharding. What is sharding? Absolutely. So sharding is a concept that we see a lot in databases where you take a greater network 
and you can split it out into smaller subcomponents. So at the end of the day, you're going to have each shard taking on a smaller batch of the main responsibility. So in, in blockchain or in Ethereum, for example, you would have one main chain called the beacon chain, and then a bunch of little smaller sharded sub blockchains that maintain state and keep track of transactions for a smaller group of people and feed the overall state to the main network. So it's basically a, a method by which you can break out the main responsibilities of the network into smaller channels. Yep. Do you listen to podcasts? I listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite time to listen to podcasts or my podcast then? For me, it's when I'm commuting. I love to listen when I'm commuting. So when I'm on the metro train or when I'm in an Uber, sometimes I'll listen to a podcast. Yeah, that's what I found with most people. And that's why we try to, um, we try to release episodes that don't exceed 30 minutes long because we understand that commuters or that commuting is the most popular time where people listen to podcasts. So we try and cater it for them. So what is your favorite platform or favorite website to do with crypto? My favorite website. I honestly think that I spend the most time on Coindesk because there's so much stuff there to read. Um, but I would like to give an honorable mention to Block Geeks because I think they do amazing work. And there's always amazing 101 content on there. So I send people there all the time. They have a YouTube channel, right? Is it two of them? A man and a woman? I believe so. Yeah, okay. I think I've come across them before. They've just come up, but I haven't checked them out too much. So I know you're a crypto content creator, and obviously you're very engaged with the community. So this may be a bit of a difficult question, but who is your favorite crypto content creator? Man, there are so many. <laughs> I mean, I I have a really uh, a close relationship with uh, with BitBoy and K-Dub from CryptoZombie. They're amazing people. But honestly, I can name you like a hundred of them that are just amazing people and all doing amazing work. So I'll could write a list and you could post it with this podcast. That's brilliant, <laughs> man. Definitely. I'm up for that. I'll tweet it too. Perfect. <laughs> so can I, um, just to end off, can I name a few projects and you describe what they're trying to do in a sentence or two? Sure thing. Okay. So we'll start off with the big one, Ethereum. Ethereum, trying to create a decentralized application ecosystem for the world to use. Brilliant. Elastos. Yeah, Elastos is trying to create a decentralized internet ecosystem for digital assets, websites, etc. to run on and basically create an ecosystem for crypto to thrive. Okay. And Ripple? Ripple, they are really focused on the banking industry, especially cross-border payments and banking B2B, basically using the concept of crypto to reduce the friction and prices of transferring money. Love it. And lastly, NEO. Yep, NEO again is very similar to Ethereum, trying to create a decentralized ecosystem for decentralized applications, dApps to be created. But I also think for them, they are also trying to work on interoperability between platforms as well. Am I right in saying that with NEO, you can basically code in any language, whereas Ethereum limits you to just Solidity? Yeah, that's changing with Ethereum now. I really, I actually started working with Viper, which is another coding language for smart contracts. But NEO is definitely wide open. You can use any traditional language like C languages and stuff to build. Brilliant. Well, Forrest, thanks for taking the time to come on and have a chat today. It was a bit problematic. We've been chatting for weeks trying to get this sorted, but we finally did it. And um, I really love having a chat with you, man. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more of your content, where do they go? Yeah, if you guys want to see my content, you guys can go and look up Hishoshi. That's H-A-S-H-O-S-H-I on YouTube. And I also have a website, hishoshi.com, if you want to check that out. 
And thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I'd love to do it again soon. And guys, I really do recommend Hoshoshi's YouTube channel. At the end of the day, that's why he's on the show. I've been watching your videos for months and you've taught me a ton, so thank you. It means a lot. Thanks, man. All right, Forrest. Well, I'll catch you later, man. Yep, catch you later.